I am wearing pants. It's a good thing. Stefan Narkdoy. Good morning to most, good afternoon to others, and good evening to the viewing audience across the pond. I am Jason Miles, your host for another episode of This is Revolution Podcast. If you're new to the channel, please like, subscribe, and if you like what you see, make sure to hit the notification bell as we're constantly adding new episodes. This Wednesday will, Wednesday, this Wednesday will be airing the third episode of our new show, Pop Life. It's more fun pop culture conversations around music and film, and will be co-hosted usually with my good friend and musician, who some of you may remember from uh, the recent Woodstock 99 episode, past Wall Romero. But the upcoming episode is a conversation I had with friend of show Dan Larson of Toy Galaxy on the pitfalls of nostalgia. Keep an eye out for that. And our other TIR presents shows, Gaming Materialist with Gene Bajlan and C. Derek Varn. And, of course, The Mau Mau Hour with Pascal Robert. We're coming for you, nigga! That being said, if you dig the music and more fun talk with little bits of seriousness, you'll really dig this new show, Pop Life. Also, I do have to apologize for being late. This is my bad. I overslept. Slept in. Because stayed up too late. And I failed. So I apologize. I hope you guys aren't too upset. As much as I'd love to blame someone, I can't blame anyone. I have to take responsibility. And right before we went on, Tucson goes, you know that because you're late, we have to run over. So now I get to get yelled at by M. Tucson about my tardiness. I'll take that L. I deserve it. So let me bring in my co-host today. My co-hostess with the most is she is the headless, faceless voice of reason. M. Tucson. Hello, hello. I would like to start today by admitting that I have been traumatized, mostly by Jason. Um, I am currently under a blanket, um, and any blanket can be a trauma blanket if you try hard enough. 
Hannah Feldman gave me this really cool trauma brush in New York. Oh, wow. So I have a trauma brush that uh, Hannah gave me. That's what you get the man who has everything. You get him a trauma brush because mm-hmm. I needed it last evening. I was crying and then watching really horrible horror movies that gave me ridiculous weird dreams. And there was a scorpion out in front of my house. That's and, uh, scary enough. Well, you know, okay, so when the scorpions are here, I don't know if our guest or our other co-host um, is familiar with scorpions. I feel like Stefan is familiar with scorpions because Stefan spent some time in the desert. But um, I'm terrified of scorpions. Um, I'm so terrified of scorpions that they're making me not even want lobster. Because they look so similar to lobster, and I feel like the scorpions are coming at me because of the lobster that I've eaten. And I opened the door, and the scorpion was on. It was just looking at me on the other side of the door, and I closed it. Like I'm not leaving the house now because <laughs> he's outside. Like you can have outside, and I tried to contemplate walking out another way. But I was like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna defeat the scorpion. So, I a reason, another reason I was out so late, Tucson. Seriously, no bullshit. I was hyping myself. Up. I was hyping myself up to walk past a scorpion that didn't want anything to do with me. Oh my gosh, that's scary. Man. And, and it was, it was pretty embarrassing to uh, yell at a bug because I was yelling at it. Like it was the hood. You were yelling at I'm, it. Yes. What? I tried to punk it. Lord. And then his little tail I'm thing. I'm going to tell you honestly. I got a friend that thinks it's so funny when you pop off. <laughs> just thinks it's hilarious. Ex-military thinks it's just too funny. Stefan said, do scorpions have ears? I don't know if scorpions had ears, but this one, i like, no bullshit. He was chilling. He was on the, so they had their tail, when they're chilling, their tail is down. So he was like this. He was posted like this. Right. My God. And I opened the door. It's like, fuck. And I closed it. I changed shoes. I got on like battle attire. Wow. Because I wasn't going to let the scorpion beat me. Because in my mind, the scorpion is like this. That's what I'm hearing in my head when the scorpion is outside, right? I went and got boots on. Steel toe. Steel toe. It's not a game. They have an exoskeleton. The last one we killed, the last one we killed, we used a hammer, a makeshift blowtorch, and the machete. I don't know how. You only have two hands. Well, the na- that's where the neighbor was here, and we threw the hammer at it. Oh, my God. This is a real story. I, I bet you just chucked it. You didn't even, like, try to aim. It's it's like- there's, a, there's a chunk of beautiful Spanish hand-painted tile that is missing from my terrace from chucking a hammer. Stefan <laughs> said Jason has treated scorpions like Saudi Arabia treats journalists. <laughs> So as we discuss trauma today, I just want you guys to know that a big reason why we're late is the trauma of me dealing with ghetto scorpions 
because the scorpion, he was chilling, and then I got scared, and then he thought, like, it was an insult. He took it as an insult. I opened the door again, like, you know how you peek around the corner, and I, like, opened it, and I peeked, and the tail thing was up. And I feel, and I feel like I heard him call me a bitch nigga. They're not dogs or cats, like the, the tail, tail went up. up. Like... The tail went up, and then the two, and when the two claws come up, it's like when Tupac was flipping off the camera, and he was just like, yeah, poof, poof, poof. that's all I saw with the scorpion. The scorpion hit him up. The Tupac and hit you him. Claim up to be a player, but I bust your wife. <laughs> that's, that's all the scorpion was playing. The scorpion, <laughs> the scorpion came out like Tupac and hit him up. And I'm sitting there trying to just, I just want to get to my car. I have to walk down this long corridor, and then my neighbor next door doesn't turn on his his corridor light. So it's total. It looks like every scene in like a '90s movie mm-hmm. where somebody's finna die in an alley, and the scorpion's sitting there like. Eh, eh. <laughs> Death row for life. <laughs> That's all I see when I see them little claws. Like, ee, ee. oh my gosh. So, so that's that's the real reason why I was late. I had to I had to get the confidence up. And so, with the scorpion singing Tupac, I was singing uh, "Staying Alive" by the Bee Gees. Okay. And that's what got me over. Is it possible that you're? Great grandfather also ran into a scorpion, <laughs> and this is generational trauma. This is intergenerational trauma from years of scorpion human abuse. Makes sense. Makes sense. You need a blanket. I should have brought the the trauma brush because uh, <laughs> yes. I was I was and then I was like walking around downtown Rosarito like I was badass. Oh my God. Where's that black guy again? There's a, why is he here. walking like that? <laughs> why is he walking like John Travolta? <laughs> He's old. Maybe his knees hurt. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of old, let's bring in some of the beautiful youth. The beautiful youth of the UK. You know this person because they have luxurious hair and their first appearance on the show, Thor Rivera was the name bestowed upon Stefan. And Strom McCallum said, no, no, no. Uh, I don't think that name is suitable. And what name did he, did Strom give Stefan? YPG Yanni. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is so mean. It really is. I'm going to stay with Thor Guevara because I don't have a picture with an assault rifle. Mm-hmm. Stefan has a picture with his assault rifle. The assault rifle is as big as him, and it looks like Stefan's wearing his dad's uni. That doesn't matter. I still got an assault rifle. He would. Stefan would have shot Scorpion. He would have. Please welcome. The beautiful assassin, Stefan Bertram Lee. I got, I got Kurt Kobani in Syria. 
<laughs> That's funny. Was <laughs> <laughs> Trump said YPG Yanni? <laughs> uh, what would be funny is if I told Stefan that there was a scorpion outside and then Stefan grabs a rifle and was like, hold on. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about my steel, my steel top boots over there, but I never did see a scorpion in Syria, but I was very afraid of, of such a thing happening. Like, you know, the thing of like, oh, I've put my boot, I put my foot in my boot, and there's something other than my foot in there. <laughs> That, that yeah. was a deep and abiding fear, uh, <laughs> uh, but it was never really realised. I know that um, what do you call it? Brace saw some uh, some creepy crawlies, but I never I never really saw any scary little uh, creatures. Hmm. Luckily, I am too far north to have the black scorpions, so they're brown and they're not yeah. as venomous. Um, That's racist. <laughs> Mexican scorpions. Why the African bees gotta be killer bees? It's all I'm saying. Guys, I I went and touched uh, political grass this week. Uh I went went to like an in-person political event for the first time since like 2000. 19 or 2018 or something it was just the local uh trotskyite student group but it was fun how many people uh, there was six people there oh <laughs> i didn't know if it was like a big like and then, then, we, then we went to the we went to the pub uh, ashley was going to come uh but she was ill but now she's better and she's on this show Ashley was gonna come, and then she's like, "I ain't fucking with them people." <laughs> <laughs> I ain't getting out of bed for this. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm ill. I got a, a sinus infection and boogers. I can't make it. The, I gotta, the I watch says no. <laughs> the watch says no. All these kids looking at me, and I just, I, I'm, the little one put the remote in the microwave. I can't go right now. It's just it's too much going on. <laughs> I can't find my phone, as a matter of fact. I'm talking to you through the laptop. <laughs> One of these kids that broke the phone. What if Ashley talked like that when... <laughs> I live like one kilometer away from Ashley, and then I've never met any, any of the rest of you in my life. Really? Wow. She lives up that hill. <laughs> 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 oh no, too far for the things. This I, I can't make it. It's too far. It's the hill. Of these bad knees. <laughs> she lives on top. She lives on top. I live on the bottom by the sea. Oh uh, well, is by the sea better? Uh yeah, I don't know. I mean, she lives in like a normal family neighborhood where I live in like the central city. But let's let's not dox Ashley or myself. I mean, you can dox me. If you got my address, I'll tell you. But. Let's well, not you, use live, you live in Nottingham. Location. You live. You live in Nottingham. Nottingham. No, just tell everyone you live in Sheffield. That's oh, where that's Jeff Leverett is from. Good answer. In, in an early version of the the script uh, of the movie of my life, I lived in Sheffield, and I was like, 
Colin, why the fuck am I in Sheffield? I misunderstood. I, I, I didn't. I, I felt so confused. I got confused when the Def Leppard documentary was on. <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> that person looks like Joe Elliott. Good enough. <laughs> That's so mean. He looks like he wants sugar poured on him. Okay. <laughs> any any man that you. petite definitely wants sugar poured on him. <laughs> <laughs> wedding song. That's the song. <laughs> oh, God. Hey, there's also major news that we have to address, and that is... The- Live show coming up on the third of the Terragram Ballroom. Give them an argument. Left Reckoning. And this is Revolution. Tickets are on sale now. Wherever you're watching or listening to the show, there's links in the description to get your tickets. There's still some VIP tickets left. Come hang out with us. Apparently, David Griscom is going to make drinks for people in the VIP meet and greet. He's going to get that volume. To make you... you'll, you'll pay twice the, the price for this. <laughs> I can't guarantee that the drinks are complimentary, but David Griscom will be behind the bar Love making you drinks. If you ever wanted uh, like his fingerprints for anything, uh... <laughs> DNA <laughs> for his assassination of Jordan Peterson. He went in on Jordan Peterson the other day. Did he? Yeah, yeah, I actually watched right. it as I was being late for the show. <laughs> <laughs> like if, Ashley's like, I could have stayed in bed like half an hour you could, longer. You know, you know what, Ashley, you could have. But it's now crazy. you know not to listen to Gene Bajlan when he says come on the show. <laughs> Ashley's sitting there going, Doug Lane's always on time. Doug Lane's not the same. Lady. I don't think that's true at all. Doug Lane wears mock turtlenecks. He does. Don't ever trust a grown man that wears a mock turtleneck. He looked like a priest. It was crazy. I wanted to be a priest when I was young. <laughs> then you discovered heavy metal. No, I just <laughs> so it was like that was that was a want... major obstacle. I didn't I didn't discover heavy metal until like the last year, age of twenty six. Before that, I just like, listened to hippity hoppity. Oh, that's not going to help you be a priest. You do not want to be the hip hop priest. Oh, no. God. The hip hop priest. America, sounds like, sounds like a horrible happen. 90s film. Um, I did want to trigger you and Ashley and everyone else. So, usually we have a segment on the show um, called Trigger Warning, where I play something that just is going to agitate <laughs> Pascal. And. Gene Bajlan wanted to agitate all of us in the champagne room the other night. So those of you that are patrons of the show that watch the champagne room, you know what I'm going to play. I'm going to play the Juneteenth commercial that we saw that uh, is I, I don't even have words to describe this commercial, but I do think it kind of prepares us uh, for the conversation that we're going to have today. Um, are you guys ready? Ashley, are you ready? Should we bring Ashley in first before we... Presumably. Bring Ashley in. <laughs> I mean, look, being in the green room is great. Ste- Stefan, wait. You're about to be a huge celebrity. You're going to love green rooms. 
There's going to be all these accoutrements in there for you. It's totally chill. Like, look, look, look how she's sitting right. She's she's chilling. The posture is relaxed. Once I once I bring her in, the shoulders get stiff. She's worried about things that that she doesn't need to worry about. This is the. Did she just flip me off? Oh. Let us get flipped off. That's how my therapist adjusts her glasses. It's so funny. That's what she did, but she got to hear your bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah your mom's really the problem here, Tucson. <laughs> like she doesn't actually have glasses. Yes. Yeah, your therapist is too. Your daddy's phone. I'm traumatized. Okay. We have to <laughs> <laughs> and pass that along. Please welcome Professor, author, talk show guest, columnist, mom, Ashley Frawley. See? See how her posture changed? She was sitting back on the couch. She was Al Bundied on the couch. I, I'm glad I, I just shuffle around so much that no one can kind of do an analysis of, of my posture. I'm too twitchy. I got really bad posture. And also I have one shoulder that's higher than the other. It really, really? bugs me. Is that, is that your superpower? No, I had scoliosis. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Thinking about trauma. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Well, scoliosis, Ashley, and Petite no. Stefan, and Black Ass Tucson. I want, <laughs> I want you to watch this, Ashley, and I want you to tell me how it makes you feel. Stefan already said, Stefan, don't don't give her any, don't give, don't tell her anything. For those of you that haven't seen this, Jean Bajlan found this YouTube channel that is just filled with TIR gold. This is just weird. So, like, this is what we're doing now? We're just giving everybody the day off now. Like, everybody, everybody. Well, not everybody. I mean, it's a federal holiday, so yeah, everybody kind of get to celebrate, even if it's not your holiday. Sort of like Veterans Day. So should people thank us for our service? Not yours, but definitely not mine. Are they really celebrating, or was it just another day off? A 10% off on Mattresses holiday. No, it's 19% off Juneteenth saving. But wait for it, buy one and get one three-fifths off sale. Sir. Too far. But really, it's a new holiday for a lot of people. Right. But it's still a moment. <laughs> it took years to get this on the books, you know. It's not reparations. And it doesn't mean everything's perfect, damn sure, no. But, you know, I was celebrating a little progress. I mean, Juneteenth. A holiday. Even three years ago, that would have been crazy. True. And it's... Also crazy that we're celebrating a holiday for Black History while Black History is banned from schools. But I'm sleep. 
just saying. When it's my birthday, everybody don't get presents. I get presents. And everyone who comes to your party knows why they're there. See, I just wish people didn't just celebrate another day off, but we had the uncomfortable conversation as to why we have the day off. There it is. You think it'll happen? I don't know what's supposed to happen either. She goes, you think it'll happen? Like, what is what is supposed to happen? Like, black liberation, reparations, what's supposed to happen? They get a call to be in a Tyler Perry movie. I enjoyed it a lot more the second time, once I knew the uh, jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I love when she goes, but I'm sleep. And then it, I'm sleep. <laughs> I also really liked it at the beginning because they're obviously kind of like black petty bourgeois. Um, yeah. that they say, like, not everyone gets a day off today. But I just took that to be them saying, we're not going to let our workers take off the day today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ashley, how does that make you feel as uh, an oppressed minority? Uh, I have to tell you beforehand, my connection seems to be really bad. I don't know why or what's going on. So you have to, like, you know, put on some dancing cartoons every now and then if I, if I suddenly disappear, I apologize. <laughs> like now. <laughs> oh, no, you're here. We can see you. Oh, okay. Everything's good. fine. Everything's fine. Okay, no, I good, know good. what's happening. When your connection's bad, it just, the screen comes up black, so you can't. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just pretend nothing's wrong and just hope for the best. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this kind of thing, it's, um, at least for, like, Indigenous people, what the tendency is, is that when the Canadian government uses these things, they use it to say that the reason why Indigenous people have problems is because of things that happened in the past. And this new government is a good government and is we've, we've drawn a line under that bad government and there's no continuity here. Um, we recognize these things, you know, Trudeau will go to um, events and will shed a tear and, you know, close up, please. Um, and it's, you know, this is the good benevolent government. Um, and when it comes to Indigenous people, it's really annoying because the Canadian government now still does the same horrific things, but they're like super duper apologetic about it. And so <laughs> that's how I feel about Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, but it really boils my blood because they're like, um, they'll say that the reason why Indigenous people have problems. I wrote a paper about this, published paper about this about two years ago, if anyone wants to read it, on Indigenous parenting in Canada. And they'll say the reason why Indigenous people have problems is because mothers didn't learn how to mother because of the mm -hmm. disruption of generations, first through colonialism and then through in, uh, residential schools and then the 60s scoop where they took thousands and thousands of children into um, care um, and into the care of, of, of a lot of white families as well. Um, and, and they'll say, well, you know, and like if you look at the discourse that was attached to when they were actually taking those kids, they were saying it's because Indigenous mothers can't be mothers. Now we have a crisis in Canada where we're still taking enormous amounts of Indigenous children. And we're saying it's because Indigenous mothers can't be mothers. But we're saying, oops, it's <laughs> sorry, you know, that was because of the bad old government. Now you really can't mother. But it's not your fault. It's not your fault. You're damaged and you're traumatized. We're so sorry. You have to take your kids anyway. You know, mm. so they, they're still placing the blame on Indigenous people and they're de deflecting attention from the most 
obvious causes of social problems, which is which is poverty. Um, the fact that some reserves don't have proper drinking water. But no, it's because we're traumatized and we're not good parents. That's what they'll say. And it really, really bothers me. Um, and like that you're like a ward of the state often, that you're you're far from the um, centers, you can't get a decent job. And if you do, you it's extremely complicated story. But what winds up happening is they locate all these problems in the past. So they're, they're sources in the past, safely in the past. That's their that's the explicit reason that they say there are problems. But the implicit reason is the effect of that past on your head, on your brain. There's something wrong with you. And they'll and they, they'll dress it up. It's a, it's the same narrative that's been around for a very long time. But they dress it up in this language of medicine and health and care. And they're very deferent. Oh, your cultures are so beautiful and blah, blah, blah. And you've lost your culture. And that's the reason why you have all these problems. Now, anybody clued up on sociology will know that that's a very old way of blaming, um, for instance, people in the inner cities for why they have social problems or because they don't have culture. Have you ever heard of that, the cultural deprivation thesis? Oh, yes. Um, and it's the same idea, right? Yeah. It's the same idea where it's like indigenous people, the reason why you, you, don't, you have problems is because you lost your culture. And people will buy into this because they're like, yeah, like, I love my culture. I think it's really beautiful and this sort of thing. And they're telling me it's beautiful. And I'm invited to then believe, well, the reason why we have problems is because we've lost that. And so then the government will come and package all these things that they want as like cultural renewal. <laughs> and then well, they're like, is... oh, we're giving you back your culture. Um, before we went on air, I actually hit up a friend of show, and my good friend, Teray Reed, and told him about what we were talking about. And uh, this is what he said. He said, when casting contemporary inequality as the consequence of past traumas, one displaces from the frame fixes for the inequalities that are before us. Worse yet, these frames frequently insist that the suffering of our distant and not so distant ancestors is our suffering. This not only reflects a disregard for great changes that have taken place over time, but it also usually funnels into epigenetic or mystical accounts of inequality that are the flip side of the same biodeterministic assumptions about people that drive unabashed racists like Charles Murray. Yes, that is basically my argument. We no, we no longer need to speak. That's literally just <laughs> game over. Yeah. We just hang out now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, this is a lot of Therese's work um, in Towards Freedom yeah. and uh, the, the case against race reductionism. And it's, you know, been the work of his father as well and his grandfather for generations. So his take is, is a pretty good one. What say you, Tucson? Um, it sounds like he's saying Candace Owens was right. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> She's like, you know, he goes, on. <laughs> he goes on to say more. Do you want to hear the whole quote? That's just part of it. Sure. Yeah. Um, he he uh, he says. A wise HBO gangster once said, you can't put shit back in a donkey. While there is no doubt that slavery and Jim Crow disadvantaged uh, African-Americans materially, socially, and politically, there is nothing we can do to right those wrongs because slavery's victims are dead, and as most of Jim Crow's. Insistence that we can make the irreparable right ultimately takes us away from practical solutions to real inequalities that are before us while simultaneously licensing 
understandings of inequality that both proceed from reactionary assumptions about humanity, quote, uh, or in parentheses, he writes, that are too close to Charles Murray or Richard Spencer, and enable the continued marginalization and exploitation of dis disproportionately black and brown people. Of course, he's writing that in the black American context. Yeah, it's it's the, it's basically the same argument. In my defense, I, I, I published this two years ago, so it's not like I'm <laughs> tailing him or something. I, but, but yeah, it's the exact same thing that's going on. And anybody like anybody who has a background in this stuff will see it immediately. Like I went to a conference in 2013 and like where I got the idea to do that research that I published. But I went to this conference and um, it was an indigenous information governance conference. I went with my aunt who's like, she's really big into like indigenous, like policy and that kind of thing, um, works in, in, at Indian Affairs in, in Canada. And she's like, totally passive. She had no idea. She's like, oh, these are these wonderful, great initiatives that we're bringing up. It's really gonna help the people and especially you kids coming up, you know, you're really gonna bring our culture back. And I was like, mm. so I go to this conference and the <laughs> first um, presentations are about how indigenous people are tired of being um, studied all the time. Like uh, anybody who wants to get a master's thesis, they're like, oh, I'm going to go do my research at the reserve. And, you know, they gather their data, they get their master's and off they go and get nice lives. And what, what do Indigenous people get? Nothing, right? You just mm -hmm. constantly study the subject of these studies. And they're like, we don't want it. Don't want it anymore. We don't know what happens to this data about us. Never benefits us. You know, so we want to be able to govern our own information, which I was like, this is great. This is really good. And then all the rest of the presentations for the rest of the day, we're all these agencies trying to figure out how to get around this. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, through like the, but you had like, but it was all through such deferential, kind language, mental health, well-being. And um, we have to really, the elders, you know, the elders are so important to indigenous cultures. So we got to go to the elders because they, what they're saying, like they wanted to do this like parenting um, interventions because they're so convinced that indigenous people are bad parents and so they're like but they can't get to the parents because they don't trust the parents right so they want to go to the grandparents who are often taking care of the kids so they're like oh it's the elders and you know we all know how important the elders are so that's why we want to work with the elders and we're going to give the homework to the elders we're going to give this thing to the that this health intervention to the elders you know this sort of thing and as I was sitting there I was like this whole narrative that they're putting across is the same damn one that they've been saying for a really really long time um that it's it's down to it's it's the parents fault um that everything important happened in the past and all that really needs to happen is you just kind of go into people's minds and by making them feel better or adopt the right outlooks or develop a sense of autonomy because they don't believe autonomy is actually inbuilt you have to, you're not this whole thing sorry i'm going off topic here but no 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 with a lot of these discourses one of the most common critiques that you see in the literature is about it being a neoliberal attempt to create autonomous subjects and then they'll go off on that and they'll say like oh so these autonomous subjects won't cause social problems and they won't um, draw on expensive support and the state then abandons them that is not the case if you actually see what's going on you can't be an autonomous subject you exercising your autonomy is a risk you have to be this is julian reed and, and david chandler say this you have to live dangerously that is live in a dangerous world but never act dangerously right you acting of your own free will is a risk you have to learn not to be autonomous but to be heteronymous 
That is, you are not an autonomous subject. And the fact that you believe you are is the source of all these social problems. You believe that you can parent properly? Oh, that's overconfidence because actually you're terrible and you're going to damage your children. And that's just, and like, I've seen some research with, um, uh, what was her name? I can't remember her name, but Krista Maxwell, where she talks to these indigenous um, people. And this woman says to her, well, that's just the way it is. Our parents were damaged and we're damaged and we'll, and we'll, and our children will be damaged. And so it will go on and on. You know, they just, it's this idea that's like, you're, you're damaged forever. And you have to first be convinced of that mm-hmm. in order to understand that actually you, you can't have free will. You can't act autonomously that you should give up your will to an outside party, to some, um, external authority and always be looking for like frameworks and rules on how to live and these things they start um they they start with the peripheries right it's it's always been like this again as i say like anybody who knows about this stuff as soon as you walk into it you go oh my god this this is what's happening but this is what's happening with colonialism since the beginning like the attitude toward the colonial abroad breaking them down destroying their subjectivity and using that as a reason for um governance uh, a particular form of governance because you can't govern yourself um is how they treat the poor at home and well, we have underclass ideology here in the states that's real big, and it's the same it's the same one it's the same one mm. it's you know like they you have the benefit of of using a colonial history or whatever history of slavery um to blame for these things but the same narrative is the explanation also for poverty more generally that you lack parenting skills that like there was a paper that i quoted in that compact article where i was just i I was reviewing literature and i just whoa this woman actually says she goes uh we know that trauma causes significant cognitive blah 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 impairments she puts all these things in a row and then puts impairments and these impairments then go on to cause like severe um, inequalities in society and and in education and that's why we need to really go in and give these supports and i was like hold up (laughs) you're saying that there's equality in society because black people are cognitively impaired do you see how they do that and they yeah if that that paper was a bit older it would have had the r word in it exactly yes it would it would and i i saw you know, yeah. okay. I didn't know. Rigor. And this is the thing, right? This is what Hernstein and Murray, in the the bell curve authors, got in trouble for because they were like, "Oh, look, such and such of this population has a IQ under seventy, and that explains all this." And and um, Stephen Jay Gould, in his Mismeasure of Man, responded, "Like, do you realize what you're saying? You're saying like." one in three black people is retarded that that's what that's what Stephen Jay Gould accused him of saying like obviously there's something wrong with your data dude but what they've done is they've renamed that as like learning difficulties <laughs> and this sort of, so that I watched a presentation once I'll never forget this at the University of Kent where these people came in you know we used to do, do these th- uh, Thursday seminars you'd invite a, an external speaker to come in and do a talk and she was like, oh, it's it's um, we really need to go in and have mel- mental health supports and learning supports in um, prisons, because what we've done with our studies is we have found that a very large number of the people in prisons are learning impaired. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> you just renamed what they used to do with IQ and, and they would go into the prisons. And be like, Well, the reason why you're here is because you're stupid. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> like yeah, it feels like their learning was not impaired, but probably more likely 
their learning was impaired by others. Yes, but there are all sorts of things, like all sorts of things going on. There's problems with the tests that measure things that are, are cultural capital for a certain for a certain class. Um, there's all sorts of um, controversy about IQ, like over time, the IQ goes up as the country gets richer. Um, you know, they're measuring something. Um, it's a mixture of like cultural things and a dedication to mainstream education that people don't have when it doesn't suit when it doesn't give them anything but yeah th this is then used as this sort of individualized explanation for social problems a sort of biologized explanation for social problems which is the province of racist but through this language of kindness and care and mental health they've now recast this very regressive totally individualized narrative as like left wing and it's really disgusting i mean well let me read a quote oh damn it okay you just step all on my toes okay. <laughs> Um, you kind of touched upon it already, but kind of what is the, there's some kind of paradox going on, or, or that's how it seems to me of kind of like, on one hand, it's in, it's emphasized kind of the inter intergenerational effects of this, or how it's kind of permanent, it crosses generation after generation after generation, but it's mm -hmm. also related to this self-help stuff, which presumably it's, it's meant to be about kind of you personally can solve these problems. So it, it's like kind of systemically a problem, but then also kind of apparently personally be personally solvable. What well, not of? not really. So it depends. Like that's the, again, this is kind of why I don't like the neoliberal critique because they just kind of take a surface level look and they think, oh, well, they're saying that this is to be solved at the individual level. They're putting it on individuals to solve it. But if you actually look at what they're saying, um, they're not. They don't say that you can actually solve these problems. Maybe some people can. So. What happens is you have two narratives. Um, one is, look, this is a biological, not biological, this is a, an uh, a individual kind of problem um, due to some disorder and you can fix it if you engage in these sorts of things. If we subject and we fix the subject in some way, then we will solve these problems. Um, but of course, you know, we had, we have so many successive waves of this. You can go all the way back to the 19th century the new thought movement, mind cure, and then you had mental hygiene, mental health uh, rises as mental hygiene falls right after it gets um, bound up with the eugenics movement and is discredited. But then you have mental health that comes up after that. And then you had the self-esteem movement and then ha happiness promotion and well-being promotion. And now we're in mental health promotion. And millions of these bad waves that all promise to fix the subject there's something in the subject that's wrong things go wrong because people you know oh economics thinks that we're homo economicus but if you look out into the world we are not we are not rational choice makers like economists think we are we are irrational <laughs> so they're like blame all the problems of econ economics on us instead of being like no actually their models are messed up and you don't need to bring in like the irrational subject to explain why things go wrong in capitalism things will still go wrong even if we're like perfectly rational but they'll use that as a reason to explain why things go wrong so then they promise these um these solutions but of course the solutions don't work because the problem's not in people's heads the problem's in the system itself um so, so the problems persist but instead of questioning the original narrative which is, you know, maybe we're not fucked up, like maybe it's not in our heads. They question the subject even more. Oh my God, people are even more fucked up than I thought. 
the, the subject is even more messed up than I thought. So you have these narratives on the one hand that do try to solve problems by going into people's heads or and changing behavior and that sort of thing. And then you have an even more pessimistic narrative that I think is becoming more powerful now, which is that the subject is a lost cause. Mm -hmm. We actually can't fix you. And what you can do is you can live with your trauma. You can live with this. You can um, be mindful. You can do all of these sorts of things. And I, I found this with the mindfulness discourse and the mental health discourse in my book that I've just finished yesterday. Woo! Um, mm -hmm. um, with these two discourses, mindfulness has that old, a, a facet of that old kind of self-esteem discourse, which is like, if you have self-esteem, you can do anything. And I found like a mindfulness quote where it was like, if you have mindfulness, you can do anything. Like literally just repeating oh, that <laughs> But I couldn't find it again, just so annoying because I wanted to put okay. it in the book, but I didn't put a reference, so I couldn't find it. So annoying. If anyone finds that quote, I'd be really, really grateful. Anyway, so there's that. But the majority of the discourse wasn't really about that. It was about feeling at home within your skin, within the maelstrom. Mm -hmm. So the world is depicted as very fast moving and so and like social change is just so fast and technological change is so disorienting and we get so messed up by this and even our thoughts are out of control and we need this specialized discourse to teach us how to kind of like sit back now i'm not saying people will get mad at this because a lot of people like buddhism and that sort of thing i'm not saying that this is literally what buddhism teaches i'm saying in this discourse of social problems in which mindfulness gets enveloped this is the narrative that emerges which is all of these sorts of um, this sort of disempowering discourse of the subject in which we are auto not autonomous, we are automatons, we are, I, I put the accent on the wrong syllable of that word, but anyway, we are, um, we act on autopilot, we don't think, you know, we, uh, and it's this, it's the same kind of discourse as Pareto, Wilfredo Pareto, the proto-fascist would have used when he said, we, act, we just act and then we rationalize after, and that all of our rationality is just an illusion. Anyway, so driving the whole nudge thing, right? Yes, exactly. So there's this whole idea of like living with the fact that you are not an autonomous subject, accepting that and living um, and always searching for rules and regulations to be able to limit the damage that you do on the world. So that's mm. that's the it's not this kind of neoliberal discourse that just makes you an autonomous subject and like, oh, now you're you're good. You have to ask yourself, like, why are they so obsessed with making you autonomous? Because they think you can't be like they and they and at the end of the day, they don't want to make you autonomous at all because that's dangerous. People acting autonomously, thinking they can make their own choices. That's madness. No, you have to understand first the very first claims in each one of these movements is not self-esteem will save the world. It's not mindfulness will do X, Y, Z. It's you are mindless. You know, they have to first convince you that there's a problem <laughs> and that the fact that you think that you don't have a problem is part of the problem. That's yeah. always the first thing that they do um, so that you have to first be convinced that you are weak. And so it's not about building subjects, it's about breaking them down. It's the destruction of the subject and the destruction of autonomy and the destruction and the construction of the subject. The subject in general, human nature is the source of all problems. So the message is you try to fix it. You just fuck it up again. Don't try. Humans have done that. We created worse problems. You must learn to live within the maelstrom. Mm. Mm. Do you sound, did you want to add something? I feel like I want that message to be given to economists. <laughs> like you're just fucking up everything, okay? <laughs> 
what you think makes sense does not make how are you gonna overheat the economy can you please just sit down yeah well that's the chill. thing and i i'm sorry i i've just written like eighty-five thousand words and i'm like it was worse than my phd so i'm like yeah we're gonna go and wanted to talk about it <laughs> but that's the thing is that i um stefan sent me the questions ahead of time <laughs> or he, he wanted to ask i'm asking myself the questions um, like what do we do to, to get out of this and you know about the economist that's exactly it that mm -hmm. we need to reject this constant displacement of the problems of capitalism to the subject we need to reject that um, because what they what they like, if you go back to classical economics of the um, 18th and 19th century, they accepted that there were some problems within capitalism that were endemic to the system, monopoly, the falling rate of profit crisis. These were questions of something that happened in the world that needed to be explained by economists. Obviously, when Marx is talking about the falling rate of profit, he's it's not a thing that he's invented. He's trying to solve a, a problem of political economy that preexisted him. Now, as time went on, the neoclassicals rejected this. They rejected that there could be any problems that were endemic to the system. They were always um, introduced externally. Um, so monopoly is like in institutions and people just fucking things up. Um, and it's all, every, because they've come up with these wonderful equations that show that capitalism works in, in equilibrium. So it works on paper. So any kind of problems have to come from the outside. Um, and so we get sucked into what seems like a critique of economics, but it's not. So like people, oh, human beings don't act like economists say they are, ergo economists are wrong. But no, that's a trick because what they're saying is that human beings don't act like that. That's why we have problems. But that's not the case. The problem is their equations are just fucking wrong <laughs> and you don't need, you don't need to invoke human irrationality and stupidity to explain why things go wrong. The system working properly causes these problems. And that is what we need to get down to. We need to reject this blaming of the subject for everything and go back to the classical economics, not go back to it, obviously it's got problems, but we need to take that, jump off that and try to explain why do these problems grow endemically from the system? Because that is the only hope that we have to solve things like e humongous economic crises that lead to wars. And the issue that we have right now is that they're walking us into another war because it's necessary for devaluation within capital. And if we don't understand that, we can't fight it. All of these discourses are telling us that human beings are being thrown about by fate and there's nothing we can do about it. But the best people in history understood that we can understand our fate. And if we do it, if we do that, we can control it. We it talk is a bit about those. I mean, you talk about the industry, day. though. Here you go. Here you go. I'm going to keep. Nope, 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 nope. When's this? You got all the hair? You're going to ask all the questions? <laughs> so, is that what we're doing here? Is that what we're doing here? We're having a hair off? Yeah. Well, I wasn't even asking questions. <laughs> You're having a hair mm. off all by yourself, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Stefan has won the hair off. I think Ashley's frozen. Oh, there she is. She's back. My connection's really. Uh, your connection's so bad that it wouldn't even let you say your connection's bad. <laughs> you know why your connection's bad? It's because you're Native American and you have intergenerational. You've got intergenerational Wi-Fi problems. <laughs> you got Native Wi-Fi. You are just Native enough to get... Oh! Say, that, that Jesus! Was, was really proved 
um, maybe write today about kind of a, a thesis about uh, this we being like a major crisis of capital destruction based on kind of the Russian Ukraine war that like the big good news today apparently in our media is a bridge got blown up like a civilian bridge <laughs> that's apparently like the good news <laughs> well you you would send a message I it, it, pretty early in the morning for me I guess when it happened it probably was breaking news for you uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that the bridge she seems she seems all right. Oh, I mean, just kind of. Okay. Did you want to be brought back? Are you going to do something? I was going to try to reconnect by my phone in case the connection is better. Um, but if it happens again, I can talk about the Crimean Bridge if you want to try that. Yeah, we were talking about you and the Crimean Bridge and your involvement. Go on then. <laughs> that, that's the, the, you know, the, the news of the day is, is pro-Ashley news, it's pro-Ashley thesis, because there's a grand celebration in the West about a bridge getting blown up. Yeah. Obviously, it proves my thesis. There's a tiny little bit of my fucking soul in that thesis. <laughs> I'd like to be able to write something without almost dying in the process. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, this is this is serious stuff. It's not a joke. Like, we have to get out of this. We have to stop like blaming subjects because here's the thing, blaming the subject does two things. Not only does it deflect our attention onto this never ending thing like, well, before we can ever broach these problems, first we must inculcate something within the subject, right? It's always this deflection activity because somebody is like, no, just for $9.99 a month, you have to buy my useless solution. And then somehow, some way we'll be able to solve this problem. So it does that, but also in a more fundamental way, if we are so fucked up and the problems that we have are outgrowths of our, I should stop swearing. I'm going to get this, uh, like, censored. Oh, it's too late. We already, we, hey, it's okay. It's okay. Um, it's okay. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, you said the R word. You said right? the hard R. She put a Oh, yeah. Well, I am of the generation where, like, I am a millennial, right? So this was part of our vocabulary. I had to, like, hard. consciously train myself to stop saying that word. So it rolls off the tongue, like, pretty easily. Eh. Anyways, um, so the, the, second thing, the second thing that it does is if, it, if all these problems are outgrowths of something within the human being, that means that if we try, no matter what we do to to try to change things, then it's just going to be expressed again in society. So there's no point. But also, it means that humanity is unable to come up with a, a solution, a human-led solution solution to the future. That we just can't solve these problems, right? And this is the economic discourse where it says, you know, it's too perfect, it's too good for human beings because remember, all the problems come from us messing it up, right? So the, this, the system I've developed is so wonderful and so perfect. And if you try to tinker with it, these are the, the problems that will come up. Um, so, but we have to, we have to, we have to understand that the human subject has that capability, that we are rational. The only, like we can understand these problems. And when we do that, we can control history. We have to, because otherwise this is what happens. If we just let things go and roll on with no alternative, no possibility, no solution, we're not even thinking about the problems. We don't, we're not even thinking about economic crisis and where they come from, the fact that they are constantly coming every 10, 12 years. Every time one happens, everyone's shocked. No, you did it. No, you did it. You know, what? They're every 10, 12 years. Come on. It's been happening for 250 years. Do you think it might be time 
for us to look into the system itself and figure out what's going on. And if and in so doing a way out. You leave Putin alone. Putin, you know, you leave comrade Putin alone. Birthday. He's been traumatized too. Putin right, has yeah, been traumatized. But it's serious. Let's have a little compassion. Flirting now with the idea of nuclear war because the amount of capital yeah. destruction required is a hundred percent, and nobody yeah. wants that, right? But the the underlying pressures are going to be so strong. We have to find a way out of this. We have to figure it out as human beings. We need to sit down and think what is what is causing this issue and is there a solution and we have to use our rational minds to do it <laughs> well that's the problem right what is our rational mind being fed right kind of and, the, no that's not the problem we don't have to think about that no you think so? I'm, i am here right now i'm telling you what we need to do i don't want to talk about advertising or whatever the frankfurt school says has led us astray yes maybe it did but now we've got to come to like maybe in five years this will sound really funny maybe i'm overreacting but i'm really scared i am scared like a couple years ago there's this like somebody sent me these graphs from like totally mainstream economists who have no idea about the long history of the falling rate of profit where they were like huh rate of profit seems to be falling like even mainstream economists have been like innocently noticing these things. That is a serious destructive tendency. You know, we had a 10 year depression that seriously impoverished like 25% of the population. Well, 25% of the population, I think it wasn't working or something like that. And the seriously impoverished enormous numbers of people. Um, and then that was followed by a war that killed millions upon millions upon millions of people, flattened two continents. And that produced a boom, that that period of what, from like 1930 till 1945 of utter horror produced a boom that lasted scarcely 17 years. That's terrifying. And the amount of destruction now that's required to produce what? Maybe a, maybe a boom, who knows? Because if we destroy everything, like it's right. it's very, very serious. One of my concerns is that in the US, you're not really allowed to talk about capitalism. You're certainly not allowed to do that in the media. And you're certainly not allowed to question it if you do name it. Mm. So like, how are we going to have these conversations? When I talk to people about uh, capitalism, they give natural um, like appeals to nature, which to me is always a red flag yeah. if you need to appeal to nature. But yeah, people consider capitalism nature. It only took a little over 200 years for that to happen. Super weird. But it's also really dangerous too. Like I was talking about this last night with a friend um, when he was like, actually, you're over optimistic that, that we can find this solution because if you come close, they're just going to shoot you. <laughs> and nice. I was like, oh, I don't, right, you, you know what? But, but, here's, but here's my point to, to when you told me to shut up. Uh, Man, I'm so sorry. You, you want me to walk to the UK? I will walk to the UK. You'd be like, say you it do that. Tupac, like <laughs> me and the scorpion. <laughs> um, all I have to do is call you crazy. I don't have to kill you anymore. I just mm. have to call you crazy. 
And I think we kind of saw that in uh, David Sorota's uh, Don't Look Up, which is kind of, you know, what you're saying. You're sounding an alarm that is a pretty obvious alarm, but that alarm is triggering for capital. So all I have to do is call you crazy. Ask anybody in the public eye that's been called crazy. Well, here's the deal, though. I'm actually a right winger. <laughs> According to most of the left, which is actually it's really helpful and handy to me, um, so I'm I'm pretty stealth <laughs> until they find out and shoot me in my sleep. Uh, but it's but it's that kind of logic though. But you know what I mean? It's that kind of logic where I I can call you crazy, say you're not on my side, you're being paid two hundred dollars by uh by right wing guy, ergo. You are just a No, I give mean, me the money. I'll take it. I don't care. I, I want to. I need to get to the bottom of this. I I, I can't tell you. Like, <laughs> and two hundred dollars at a time. No, I don't. I don't. I'll tell you right now. I have no qualms. I'll take money from anybody. Uh, it doesn't bother me in the slightest. Thing is that nobody's going to give me the money to say what I'm saying. This is the problem. Or you, 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 this is what academics do is they learn to like anybody who's really radical and wants to actually do something within academia, you learn to hide it because you won't get any money unless you're like promising to reach some objective, some state objective. So how I've ever got like funding, research funding is I'm like, the issue is that with solutions that may not be effective, we could be spending too much on the NHS to, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) What I'm interested in is this underlying ideology that these policies that I'm promising to be carefully and helpfully questioning on a cost basis, uh, I'm that's what I'm interested in doing. So you have to, you know, there are there may be ways I don't know to be stealth and to to figure this out, but it will. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Maybe we're screwed. I'm not sure. I'm not. I don't know. I mean, I think we all share your concerns and frustrations. I mean, uh, off air, Jean Bajlan and I have been having like. Super sad. I guess you young people call it black pill. Black pill. <laughs> Conversa- Doomer conversations. Um, because I feel the same way. I feel like sometimes you're you're screaming at a at a wall, and and no one really wants to pay too much attention. Well, I think people want to pay attention. It's just that it's very difficult. Like I go on the mainstream media a lot, but you have to be careful never to step outside the Overton window, right? So I can say what I'm saying on even a right-wing channel, but you just have to be very careful with your discourse. So when I, for example, I was on a, like a kind of right-wing channel recently, and I was trying to get across that workers are the ones who make all the value in the world. And you can say that actually on a right-wing channel, even though there, there are a lot of uh, workers that watch that and they know that, right? They know that the workers, but you have to put it, so I would say, Working people are the ones that make things that are, are are actually valuable and make our lives better. And if we are putting too much of our investment into the city of London, <laughs> um, then we are uh, we're taking away from what's actually valuable in this country. You know, <laughs> so you can you just have to be conscious of like trying to speak to the masses, or else you'll never have a mass movement. Agreed. Hmm. They got Ashley to comment on the. Um, I was going to say they got to comment on the Queen's funeral. <laughs> on on uh, t- so if you for those that don't know, Ashley lives somewhere in a bunker in the UK, and 
Uh, Ashley goes on UK television quite a bit. Probably, I would say out of between the uh, TIR and, and sublation camps, Ashley's probably the most televised out of all of us. I feel like there's always a clip of Ashley on the news. <laughs> Bring in that colored hair gal with the colors in her hair. She gets animated. I know I'm British, but I'm just going to sound like <laughs> Robin like, Evans. I would know American has sounded for 50 years. <laughs> that, but that every producer and everywhere in the world sounds like Robert Evans when they're bringing in, bringing the girl, the, the, the girl with the crazy hair. We like it. What's she wearing? Well, okay. Can I? <laughs> Can, can, can I add um, back to the comments about being crazy, about people saying that you're crazy? They can also say that you're a terrorist. That's what they said about environmentalists mm -hmm. who were protesting the logging, a lot of in the Pacific Northwest. They were actually officially added to the count of terrorists um, in the United States. But their response is always, Who's the real terrorist here? You're destroying the planet. Um, you're the terrorist. That, that was a whole storyline arc on Law and Order SVU, Special Victims Unit, which is supposed to be about sex crimes. There was mm -hmm. a, a two-season story arc because the main character was pregnant at the time, and her role was to go undercover, mm -hmm. and this was in the early 2000s was to go undercover and and uh, handle domestic terrorism, and it was all environmentalists. Yeah, I mean, I think Greens got uh, benefited a lot from 9-11, because before that, they were getting absolutely fucked, completely disproportionately to kind of the, the actions they were taking. Like, I think a lot of people forget that after the, the, the fall of the Soviet Union, all that intelligence got turned internally in the U.S. context, and environment. Literally, even cartoons like GI Joe, who is the bad guy after the fall of the Soviet Union? It's environmentalists. Yeah. It's polluters. So, so that's a good Somebody point. Somebody asked in the in the comments somebody said why are these people voting why are workers voting tory if they know that they're the creators of value um i think it's that's one of the the big things that people need to like really deeply understand instead of just being like oh no she's about to give us the answer to life she's about the, what is this secret to the world she's about to say 42 and oh, oh my, my god. god oh deep state got her damn god, Cuba. she was so damn close it. damn it Cuba. where did i get cut and off now i can't get her on you were literally it was very brilliant timing you were like the solution is or like the way you should think is and then you were cut off Yep. Like right there. Here, look, <laughs> here, you got to make you big and me small. 
Oh, I can't. Now I don't even know what the solution was. The deep state got. Oh. Me. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of people. Because she was off. writing shit down too. She's like, and the and the winner is. <laughs> you you were gonna critique kind of the, the constant thing of people saying like the working class votes against its own interests. Right. Yeah. Right. So the problem is that the that the whole labor establishment has also bought into this exact same neoliberal discourse that I was just explaining. So they they're the same. They're just very kind about it. And also they're <laughs> people are not stupid. They know that they're like being sneered at. They're being talked down to. Like if you look at a lot of the poly I want like the last time I voted for labor, I regretted it so much because I was like, yeah, of course I vote labor, right? And then I wound up fighting them on some really, really regressive policies where they're just like micromanaging the family life of working class people. People don't want that, right? Like, you know, I, I just leave me alone with it. Like, yes, I got a shitty life or whatever, but I let me enjoy the little things that I have. And it's like, no, you eat too much sugar and you do this and, and it grinds on people. Now, I'm not saying that New Labour doesn't have good policies and good ideas sometimes. They absolutely do. But a lot of what the trajectory, I keep saying New Labour, I'm, I'm talking about the 90s toward the present. Mm -hmm. But yeah, what a lot of what happened, this trajectory of the Labour establishment was that they wound up promising to, um, what's the word, not control, but manage, manage the working class. Um, as, and they were in that position because of their historical um, uh, historical positioning as um, representatives of the working class. And so they bought into this idea that they could manage the behavior, their behaviors. And people didn't people don't like that. I don't like that. It's actually really scary um, to be under surveillance when you're a parent, that sort of thing. And then and people have just totally bought into this, like, oh, we have all these problems because of you know where the parents and then it was just a totally right-wing narrative from like but it's now totally um bought into on on the on across the political spectrum just like blaming individuals for problems Keir Starmer looks like he is Richard Spencer's older brother that's that's pretty that's pretty uh yeah instead of getting mad at the working class for wanting what you think is wrong maybe we should figure out what people actually want and because it's possible right we live in a world of unbelievable wealth things that our ancestors never could have dreamed of it hasn't disappeared <laughs> like the cost of living crisis isn't because we've lost the ability to produce beyond our wildest dreams we have not <laughs> we have not and people want that because it gives want that abundance and wealth because it will give them freedom and we have to figure out a way that it actually can but so does bad hmm? so so does so bad, does, so does bad. <laughs> Got on that. they destroy the environment and they help russia we should all be cold oh dry. god they do help russia i forgot about that so am i assisting russia every time i buy a three liter coca-cola here in mexico yeah uh yeah and that's why i do it <laughs> oh. Okay. You know, you have to take the Zizek line. Is like, I don't want five cents from every uh, every one of my coffees to go to help a starving child in wherever. I want every five cents to go to killing a child every time. I buy <laughs> God bless the war machine. <laughs> For real, just make it obvious. <laughs> Stefan, you wrote some beautiful questions for for this uh, this show. Um, since Ashley is your doctorate advisor, 
and they were and i know you want to answer you've asked one question yeah <laughs> I, I feel like ashley i think by by kind of having read them before she's answered basically all of them um the one that's kind of gone unasked is that in the compact article you kind of gesture towards um a form of contemporary nihilism um where people have people don't have a, a why which kind of underlies their life um what do you think is kind of a relationship between this lack of a why and trauma well-being these other kind of psychological fads which you are work in yeah, um, so that's a, a quote from um, Viktor Frankl, who's paraphrasing, I think, Nietzsche. Um, he who has a why can bear almost anyhow. Um, and this is the the thing we don't have a why. And and increasingly, we are what these what our culture, our sort of therapeutic culture, encourages us to do is to locate that why within the self, right? So why am I doing this? It's to be happy. And if you if you are you know, kind of a rebellious type is not to be happy. It's to like maintain my sanity or whatever. Um, some, but it's within yourself. You know, the it's about self development or finding some contentment or um, self care. Something like that is the goal of everything, and that's not enough. You know, most human beings did not live like that. Um, as Christopher Lash says, most people didn't live as though they had one life to live. They lived as though they were living their children's lives and their parents' lives. Um, most people had a sense of belonging to historical time, you know, belonging to a successive gen uh, a succession of generations that came before them that stretches out into the future. And we've we've lost that to a certain extent. Um, and we're also encouraged not to believe in that. To a certain extent, we are, but our our impact is negative, right? So like our existence fucks up everything for the future. That's the extent of our belief in our belonging to successive generations that we just, we're eaters, we just eat everything. And now there's nothing left for who comes next. Um, but for most people, that kind of presentism is totally soul destroying because if your purpose is like self-care or well-being or whatever, any kind of negative thing that happens to you is totally unbearable because you've got no reason to suffer. You've got nothing to live for. In fact, suffering then becomes antithetical to your entire purpose in life. But if you have something to live for, you can endure all sorts of things. Um, you know, when people go on hunger strikes in prisons for the greater good of like free speech in, in countries where they arrest journalists, you know, they do this not because of their own well-being. They do it in spite of their well-being because there's something greater. Um, so the fact that we don't have this why I think leads to, and also we are encouraged to, um, in excessive introspection and to be constantly undergoing this sort of self-surveillance. We're always looking for something wrong. And when you do that, you're going to find something wrong. You always will. I mean, if you spend too much time, you're not meant to spend too much time in your thoughts. It's not a good thing. Like, and if you, but that's where we are. We're all sort of encouraged to live inside of our heads. And this is a good thing as a good citizen. You should be aware, you should be self-aware, you should be thinking about your own psychology. And I know this because I used to live in this world. I used to do this myself. And it really messes you up. It really fucks you up. Like if you were sitting there thinking about your own psychology all the time, you become, you can go mad. Um, and I didn't come out of that until I look out into the world and try to understand the world uh, with a view to changing it, with a view to understanding the deeper structures of society and um, realizing that there's been a little glimmer of freedom available to human beings for since 1789, we've not been able to grasp, we've not been able to, to get to that point. 
and figuring out how we can get there that now drives me and I can not sleep for four days uh, and continue writing while I have norovirus <laughs> because I am desperate to find the answer and to figure out, okay, what, how do we move beyond this? How do we get there? Tucson, did you want to ask your, you have a good question um, that you wrote. Which Questions. one's good? It, it feels like- I like the Joyce DeGray are... question. The which one? The Joyce DeGray question. Joy de Grace. Oh, okay. De de yeah. Oh, sorry. She, Tomato. She, she allows more than one, and then she changed her name because um, she got divorced. Oh, well, so my question was: Are you aware of Dr. Joy de controversial work on post-shave syndrome? What are your thoughts about it? It can it can place the problem in the minds of the people, but it is meant to. It's meant to explain a phenomenon. But what are your thoughts? Ashley made a face like she said, "Have you heard that question?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's looking here. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, can you say say the question again? She couldn't. She couldn't hear you. Oh, okay. sorry. Oh, I see. <laughs> Are you aware of Dr. Joy DeGroy's controversial work on post-traumatic slave syndrome? What are your thoughts about it? It can place a problem in the minds of the people, but it isn't meant to. It's meant to explain a phenomenon. I mean, that can be yeah, put but, back on itself pretty easily, though. Yeah, that's the thing is that there are a lot of um, critiques that kind of, um, they see what's going on. Um, well, I don't, I'm not familiar with this particular thing. I must say that trauma is not my main area of research. I just wrote that one article, you know, a few years mm -hmm. back on a very specific thing within Indigenous parenting and the use of trauma in that discourse. So I'm not familiar with the broader literature on that. Um, but in a related discourse that I am familiar with, there's a whole um, critical discourse of mindfulness. Um, so there are people who are Buddhists um, and who uh, and who are not Buddhists or meditation practi practitioners who have been really critical of the commercialization of mindfulness. And they try to come up with a more socially aware mindfulness, um, which is meant to open people up to broader social structures, give people strengthen people to um, the, for the task at hand, these sorts of things. Um, um, and, you know, I think Ron Purser said something in 2015 or 2016 about. Um... Oh, damn. She is just getting booted left and right. Sorry. She's a fighter. Ron Burgundy, okay. Ron Burgundy said, what? Is she taking selfies right now? <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I'm using my I'm using a metered connection on my phone because my Internet is down. <laughs> Um, and so the connection sucks. So I'm just moving my phone around, hoping that I can get a better signal. Needed connection is code for selfie. <laughs> yeah, it's just metered connections. But yeah. No, I'm trying to get a better. Sorry. <laughs> I was asked. My point is, my point is that no, at the end of the day, there's still there's something in the subject that's wrong. Say it again. I said. At the like at the end of the day, what these discourses are saying is that there's something within the subject that first needs to be fixed before we can then go into the world and solve problems. So even though they are aware of the problems, they're still really convinced that the reason 
the reason we haven't been able to solve them is because of some barrier between us and the world. And it's and it sometimes implies we actually have all the solutions, but what's missing is our awareness or our strength to deal with them. But we don't have the solutions. And the more that we kind of say, like defer our day that we will find the solution to when the subject is adequately built up, the more we will never be able to get there. Are we considering social mindfulness, wokeness? <laughs> it might be, eh? It is in a way, yeah. Getting like the idea is that people are sleeping to a solution that is right in front of them. But like, here's the thing, like think about the most successful slave revolt in history or the only successful slave revolt Haiti. in history, Haiti, right? Do these people need to sit and strengthen them? No, they need to get mad enough to like <laughs> and have like some leaders that are capable and in the right positions to do something about that, right? Um, you, you, you didn't need to like go, the most training I think you need is how to use a gun. <laughs> well, I guess you didn't She's read the, the works. No, of, uh, oh, take that M2 out. Oh, I'm going to get shot. Like <laughs> You didn't read the works of M2 Sign. First, on first the they make fun of you. Room. First, they call you crazy. Then they cut your internet off. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just correct myself, though? When I said the most training you need is a gun, I think that, like, use of weapons and, and like fetishizing violence is really stupid. The, what I have in mind is like um, the capitalists will organize people for the purposes of fighting a war. They will do that. They will try to enlist it. They're doing it in Russia right now. That's the training that you need, you know, because what will, you will they will give you that training. And then if there is an alternative, there's the working class organized for you. The point is that there's no alternative. We don't have a solution. So even if you are organized, as the capitalist system will do right now, um, well, you're just organized to blow up the world. Mm. You know, the, the party, party of Socialism and Liberation, PSL in the USA, they recruit veterans, uh, American veterans, like actively, and they get shit from like other apparently revolutionary Marxist parties for recruiting veterans. And it's like, what the fuck? Why wouldn't you want someone that understands how to like live? <laughs> like, you think you're gonna jungle. you're gonna take over the USA with zero veterans, zero soldiers? Like, yeah, okay. The internet well, gets cut happened. off and your whole cadre stuck. Well, this is what happened in 1917, right? Like, people were you know being asked to go die in enormous numbers for the Tsar, and they're like, mm, no. <laughs> um, and so. But, you know, they had a, a, a very serious organization of communists yeah. that were capable of taking power. Right? We don't have that. So it's it's a very silly thing for me to say that you need to learn how to like use a gun, that sort of thing. Obviously, that's without any kind of organization, it's totally meaningless. So capitalists will organize us, but we also need to have some organization that's capable of salt of, of coming through this, giving and toward a future that people actually want and are like willing to step out of the canon fire for which is you know hmm do i want to die for the bourgeoisie or like oh. <laughs> but it's not a big <laughs> the fact that we we don't really have this like alternative that's better than getting shot on the front line is kind of scary to die nobody gets fear. out of this alive hmm. sorry dying in the service of the reactionaries is as light as a feather to die in the service of the revolution is heavy as a mountain the first one's very easy the second one's very hard that's what she said uh, Derek Varn says, you aren't going to take over with a gun in a drone state. Ashley is right about adventurism. The rest what of if I strap a gun, gun to a drone? Well, I'll say this. <laughs> our, former, 
our our past guest Ralph Leonard uh, did I I pulled that question on him. What are we gonna do? They have daisy cutters. They have drones. They have this. They have that. And he said that these these modern armies still lose. They do, and it's true. It's true. But in what context do we lose? Right. And that's a better. I I like the grand narrative of Star Wars that Ashley's uh, UK brother and Michael Harris uses because sometimes one thing the left misses is a grand narrative to rally behind, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And there's something to be said about and and uh, the Leonard uh, gentleman is one of your students, right, Ashley? No, no, he sounds a lot like me, but I have, I have, he's completely. <laughs> I know he's boy. <laughs> I thought, I thought, whose boy is he? Stefan? I don't know. Joe, oh, he's this he's random boy. individual who happens to think really close to me. <laughs> like, it's very. No, strange. I thought he was one of your students, or you knew, or he went to your, your school. No, I just found him on Twitter. You just knew like, a random black guy? <laughs> His uh, Twitter picture is CLRJ. Yeah, I'm also a big fan of CLR games. I, here's the thing. I find that there are a couple of people I'll come across that think like me. And the reason is because they're fans of CLR James. They read the German ideology and the Grundrisse, and those are their favorite texts. And they're fans of Marshall Berman. Those are the things that bring you to where I am right now. And Capital, but more importantly, the Grundrisse, because it shows all the Hegelianism. I found um, Ashley on Twitter. I, I made you found Ashley on Twitter. I made one final scroll before I got on a plane from Athens to London and actually fully popped up uh, just as I was applying for, for my PhD and then uh, I emailed it from there. Was it, was it her on the news yelling at somebody? No, it was, she made a post being like, well, obviously we need like the economy to be bigger to do communism and everyone got really mad at her. And I was like, well, that's obviously right. So. Maybe this person can help me with my doctorate. That that was weird though. That whole thing. I'm twice I've been through this where like all of left Twitter was on me, and I was just like with my glass of wine on my phone. I'm like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> well, that's where the revolutions fought, Ashley. I don't. You don't know shit about the Pat Sock revolution <laughs> that's going Boy. on right now in my mind. <laughs> in my mind, I'm Wait, kicking sir. your ass. With memes and hate tweets. <laughs> Beating the shit out of you with hate tweets. Well, I found Ashley through Doug. And I was like, why is this lady talking to Doug? <laughs> <laughs> is this like the Doug hate cast now? Talking to I Doug a lot. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> She's on again talking to Doug. What are they talking about? <laughs> I should watch, but no. What is the actual <laughs> I, woman doing talking to Doug? I know. What's this about? I found Doug because of Doug's her. podcast, Diet Soap, way back in 2008. I, I was like an early adopter oh. of podcasts. I've been listening to podcasts since like 2005, like since they first existed. Um. Look at that. Such a hipster. Oh, before Energy. all of you guys got it. I, was, I listened to podcasts on my phonograph. <laughs> I used to have my Victrola. I used to have an MP3 player that you had to like download them all first and put them on the MP3 player. That's nice. Oh I, was, I was listening to podcasts on my Zoom. 
artisanal podcast. It is is interesting thinking back on like the really weird crossover periods. Like I remember this period where I was downloading YouTube videos to my iPod and watching them on the bus. Oh, you had a fancy iPod with the pictures on it. Yeah, and this was and to this day when people say podcast, I think they mean audio only. So it confuses mm. me because they were always just audio. And I've also wanted to buy an MP3 player so that I can just download them and put them onto it. I, I prefer mean, that method. I do. Well, and, and you can't then accidentally go on Twitter. Exactly. I am so distractible. I'm, I'm like, I have to be very lo-fi, like to read and stuff. I, I take like a physical stack of books and I go with a pad of paper. And that's how I, I do everything analog. That's why I was late because I actually have a clock. So I don't have to have a phone on me all the time. Exactly. And the battery died in my clock. Oh, wow. It's <laughs> like you tried, man. You did. You could have gone outside and used the shadows. like Right? <laughs> do I look like a goddamn druid to you? <laughs> do, do you guys look. remember the, the story I told about my watch? How I, I, I had like several Casios. F- F91Ws, mm-hmm. uh, which had like a like a fake leather strap, and I kept mm-hmm. playing with them so often that I would just snap the strap off. So mm-hmm. what I did, I, I bought like a this is my golden watch that's appeared on the show before. I bought a metal <laughs> one because I was like, it's not gonna snap. Like I just, I can't fiddle with this so hard it'll snap. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, <laughs> it turns out I am strong enough to eventually snap. <laughs> you broke the face. I just snapped the arm off, yeah. You went to war on your own watch. I'm stronger than steel, but not in a way that helps me in this life. Not even in an ironic way. It was, it was <laughs> <laughs> wearing the watch. Very literal. Very yeah. literal. So, yeah, now I'm, I have to check I'm my real phone big. again, which I don't like. I'm I'm big about not having technology in my room where I go to sleep, so that's why I don't yeah. sleep in my room. <laughs> <laughs> I sleep in the living room. <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> so I'll tell you now, the reason why I don't have internet in my house um isn't because it's down, it's because I've actually shut off the internet. So that when I am home, I just read. <laughs> That's it. So I don't, don't have the you. office. So now I've had to. T- this is why I was like, "Oh crap! I have to go into the office." But I was too lazy to go into the office to to like <laughs> to do this. So I've d- had to do it through my phone. But yeah, I've got a radio and I have a big stack of papers that I that I read. I have like a thing that I'm working on. I can't sleep at night in, unless I've made a little bit of progress on a question that I'm working on. So mm-hmm. I, in order to do that, I I I shut the internet off and I just have every all my books and my papers and I just sit there with those things. But you couldn't turn it back on. <laughs> I mean, I've, when I say I've shut it off, I mean I've shut it. I've I've canceled it. Sorry. The, re- the real out. reason, Stefan. What is, the real what reason. Think about this. Th- it's that's good. why. It's good. So we're not on no, our phones. That's why the internet got shut off, Stefan, because because I can't be trusted. The, the husband was getting mouthy, and <laughs> Ashley was like, "Say it again. I'll shut the whole thing off." <laughs> There'll no. be no more. You won't be able to download Office any more football minds again to your phone. And then he said it, whatever he said, he said it in his accent. And she was like, I got your ass. And then she shut it off. Now the kids <laughs> is over there mad. They can't watch YouTube. Watch the other kids <laughs> play with toys. Ashley's kids is watching other kids play with toys on YouTube. Mad that mommy won't let them watch YouTube. <laughs> no. no. Mommy! Shut up! 
It's your daddy's my fault. Canadian, my kids have Canadian accents. Oh, <laughs> mommy, what's it on the boot? The internet's. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's not true. The younger one has a Welsh accent. Everything has an extra syllable. So she's like, are we going to Aww. <laughs> it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> or she says in a very cute thing this morning, Mommy, I love you. I don't want you to die. That's what her dad said. Hey, go tell mommy you don't want to die. Maybe he has to turn the internet back on. <laughs> tell daddy sorry. Daddy sorry. You know, do you know how my grandparents said the word film? Hmm. Film. Film. Yeah. Film. Yeah. 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 That's how my daughter Sometimes there is even a third syllable in a one syllable word, which is three times too many. She's like, Mommy, <laughs> is it clean? <laughs> I remember I, I said cookbook to my Welsh friend, and he had absolutely no idea what I said. That's hilarious. <laughs> Sorry. It took me a minute to figure out what you were saying, too. It did. We're going to make cookies <laughs> from the cookbook. That's how they get down in Sheffield. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pour some sugar on my cookbook. <laughs> if you guys want to have more fun like this, we'll be doing this live. Derek Varn will be here. And then depress the shit out of all of us. <laughs> yeah. Actually, your like impression of your, your child is, is very, very cute, by the way. <laughs> they Imagine living with them. They're uh, unbelievably cute. And you can't get mad at them. I mean, I've seen them. Like, They're pretty cute. Sorry. Wait, I can't do it. Sorry. So, so sometimes we have these. I haven't, I haven't been to one in a while. We have these, uh, com- like these group calls for sublation and... Uh, Ashley had one where she had her kids with her and she she wasn't even like just yelling the whole time. She was chasing <laughs> children and yelling the whole time. She didn't give a damn what anybody said. <laughs> I don't yeah. I can't I can't listen to I can't listen to put it down da- put it down. Put it down. Why did you do that? Why did you hit her? Give it back. What are you doing? That's the whole that's all she I'm I'm sorry guys, my kids. I'm sorry. My kids. Put it I love, I love when Jason does an impression of someone who isn't an American by just doing a different American accent. Yes. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> My husband has like a really weird mix of like a Welsh and a Greek accent because he's been in Wales for so long. <laughs> does it sound like garbledy gook? No, he's like, he's like uh, what is it? He says mosh. He says, uh, what you doing, mosh? I don't know if it's mosh or mush. I don't know. What what you doing, mush? And I I can't. Whenever I do uh, impressions of him, he he's just like his, he sounds Italian. He's in my head. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ashley. Hey, but he's an American Italian. Hey, where the, where the goddamn kids at? Hey, fucking. Hey, Ashley. <laughs> goddamn internet ain't on Ashley. <laughs> work, I work all day over here. Okay, I work. I work. I got the kids. We just needed internet. Get the Disney Plus over here. Hey. That would be hey. best. An actual European man, when he's angry, it's more like this. <laughs> You've been here all this time. <laughs> okay. Okay. 
fine. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. It's the worst. I'd much rather if he yelled at me and was very vocal. No, it's just nope. <laughs> and then he's gone. Put some cheese on that, Ashley. Come yeah. on. Hey. Hey. Okay, but this is your fault, so. <laughs> it's your fault, Ashley. It's all your now fault. Now he's French, apparently. Not very good at doing his accent. <laughs> Ashley just shutting everybody up by turning the internet off. Oh, um, Susan, do you actually have a duck? <laughs> No. Oh. <laughs> I wish I did. I wish I had a drink. If she had a pet duck in New York, that would be the funniest <laughs> shit ever. I, she I just walking. said that's Mandarin chat, but I guess it's not true. But. Toussaint has a rusty-ass chair. But no. I also found out that Toussaint's profession is sock designer. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. Chinese not, sweatshop sock designer. Not 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 knowing not knowing this, I was showing her my idiot socks, which have a thing to indicate where the heel is and where the toe is, so that idiots know where to put their feet. And I found out that Tucson is uh, Tucson was a sock designer. I, I thought that design was to let People know that you're fancy when you go to your Asian friend's house that makes you take your shoes off. <laughs> I, I'm concerned that. I, I just assumed that. Um, I'm sorry, you keep your shoes there. on inside the house, you monster? No, these are my. No, look, no, look. I take my shoes off, and then these are my in the house shoes that only stay in the house. I can't walk outside with those shoes. Slippers. Well, I gotta be barefoot in my house. I'm Canadian. Yeah, no, no shoes, no shoes in my house. Um, yeah. I had a house guest recently, and he definitely was walking around with shoes on, and I was just like, mm. Mm. "Oh my gosh!" Mm. I was like, "Was this Ben okay. Burgess or someone else?" No, Ben. You know Ben Burgess, gentleman, takes his shoes I off. Gentleman. I imagine. He seems like a shoe right? off kind of guy. Doug uh, seems ben like Bur a shoe on kind of guy. Doug <laughs> shoe on. That's you know, true. there's just all kind of weird shit. That's, that's true. Like, but it's I love you hiking boots. Patagonia. <laughs> no, Nikes. They're like like with the socks. The ACGs. The ACGs. No, no, no. New. What is it? New Balance. That's what my dad. New wears. Balance. Doesn't I'm horrible, Doug. I'm sorry. Doug doesn't <laughs> watch the show. Have you guys, have you had the thing? Well, I mean, it's probably happened sometime in your life, but but. The, recently where something you thought was if not normal like relatively a rare practice but you know other people do it but then you found out that literally no one does this thing you do washing your hands after you use the bathroom yes i found out that no one does it no. stefan i have peed in so many bathrooms across the planet and there's one thing that's universal motherfuckers don't wash their hands that's very much a dude thing. I oh my think. god, that's truly disgusting. And yes, that's like, a man thing. I had, a, yeah. I had, a, so I had a house guest. It was not Ben Burgess, and dude was like weirdly shy, and so I was my my bedroom connects to the bathroom, and so he would like sneak in the bathroom, but then close the door really loud, so then I'd wake up. <laughs> like, why'd you sneak in to close the door? And then he would try to like take these weird shits where he was trying to like take a silent shit 
so I can hear oh, him. I can hear everything. Like, <laughs> maybe it was like a lady, like a lady dump. Yeah. Like he's trying to, I was like, are you catching the turd? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and so, and he's trying to like, he, you can tell he's like trying to squeeze. Okay, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to. And so I almost, I almost yelled out, just get it out. Because it was waking me. Him trying to have a silent shit was waking me up, right? And then he wouldn't wash his True. hands. I think he was afraid to make noise. Mm-hmm. And then he kept saying, like, oh, you know, maybe we can cook, you know, because I'm going to be here for a few days. We can cook. And I was like, no, that's fine. We'll just go out to eat. He goes, you don't have any groceries. I'm like, I know I don't have any groceries. I'll buy them after you leave. I can't even do to hands touching anything in this house. You got boo-boo hands. Oh, so gross. Oh. I mean, I, I like I like that you totally hands, like, like changed. You totally changed your like eating routine instead of just going like Ben, do you like wash your hands afterwards? Yeah, no, it wasn't Ben. All right, it was not Ben. It was not Ben. I'd be a totally ben serious. Ben, ben was here. Ben was here. I cooked for Ben. He had a very good. He yeah, was I'm telling you. Remembering, I feel like you were definitely. Catherine Lou. Yeah. Catherine Lou brought her family down here. And I made a wonderful, uh, we had steak and tacos and all kinds of great shit. Catherine Lou was here. Um, so, no, these are all non-boo-boo hand people. If you're a non-boo-boo hand person, I will make you a wonderful meal. We'll eat outside on the terrace and and the ocean will be there and we'll eat as the sun sets. It'll be beautiful. If you're Ashley, ever in town, Ashley. 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 My landlord has a wonderful play structure next door for that's kids. Nice. You want to bring them badass kids with their booger fingers? <laughs> that's fine, right? Like no, those are we staying can, we, home. <laughs> but once I, know I have instilled in my children the desperation to wash your hands the moment they feel at, like I, I'm obsessive. I wash my hands a lot. And here's the thing, though: men don't wash their hands. Like that's know. it's a, definitely a man thing. And yet, I'm the one who always gets sick. Why? Because <laughs> you wash your hands too much. <laughs> what? Because you wash your hands too much. You can't. You need like a constant low level of um, grit on you to become slightly ill. I'm like all like pink and and weak, and my husband's like full yeah. of germs. He's like, nah, nah that's how yeah. I can stay. Hey, did the Tucson? Did your mother or grandmother like beat into you that you have to wash your hands after you use the bathroom yes and when you come in especially because yes. we take out. the subway you know mm, subway is disgusting Just, i thought everybody yes. is first thing you do when you walk in the house you wash your hands you have yeah. i have, yes my grandmother all the time did you pee and wash your hands and i was like <laughs> i washed my hands no you did not i don't even smell like soap that's my mm-hmm. family <laughs> Is this universal? How I was raised. Stefan, doo doo hands. I do wash my hands, but after going to the toilet, but in a very like useless way. Just. Yeah. Oh, a little swish on the bottom. I guess I guess I'm just engaging in like the ritual. No, oh I fully, God. I fully do the thing where you like in the palms, in the palms, between the fingers, backs of hands, backs of hands, and sometimes I miss the backs of my hands and I have to go back. 
Stefan, you know why? Because when you have children, here's the thing. When you have children and they start becoming school age, Mm -hmm. they become the most disgusting germ machines Mm -hmm. ever created. And everyone in the house starts getting these illnesses that you thought died off in the 16th century. I mean, I've... I've (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's... Kids are wonderful on one hand, and once they get to school, and now with COVID, every time my son sneezes, if he's around me, I'm like, oh, shit, is this the end? Well, no, what happened, too, is that they were, because they were out of school and out of society for, like, two years. So my daughter, my youngest, was 20 months when we did the first, when the lockdown started. So she was just in the house. She didn't get all those germs. So she just started school. I have been continuously sick since September, like continuously. And then I got better and then she brought home coronavirus. Back. Oh. <laughs> it was it was just like everything going and like oh my gosh, I'm pretty sure like everybody's going through this because yes. there was no immunity and it's all just it's like two years of illnesses, like everything. It's been mm-hmm. horrible. I'm like work is like really annoyed with me because I had I had to cancel lectures this week and canceling a lecture is a really big deal like you really should never do that and I couldn't I was like on the bathroom floor I was like ah, <laughs> you don't understand <laughs> I have a lectures. child <laughs> I have a small child in school you understand were the kids sick yeah, yeah the kids... everybody's oh. sick and this happened before where my it like it, it moves through the family right like one person gets sick and then the, 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 the. And I was the last time we had norovirus go through. I was the last one to get sick. So I got to take care of everybody. And then I got sick. And my husband was like, so gross. Oh, my God. My husband's like, oh, is it contagious? Because he was the first person who got sick. He's like, is it contagious? And I was like, yes, extremely contagious. And he's like, mm-hmm. and that's when he just threw up on the floor. Like, no, like he goes, the movie and he loves you. No, I'm not going to say it. Never mind. Forget it. Yeah, the poor guy was like, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> and that is called having a family. Yeah. People like throwing up on walls. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I got sick, because my my children were still small, I was I was still breastfeeding, so I was. Oh. Exactly ill. I was lying on the floor and I had so I was so weak I couldn't get up even to lift myself to throw up in the toilet. So I was like lying on the floor and and the kids were on top of me. <laughs> my baby's trying to like get into my shirt and I'm like ah. it's like a zombie movie. Actually sitting there like like Walking Dead. <laughs> like, Mommy, Rest life. <laughs> the hunger. It's the hunger. This is actually one of my fondest memories. Like, this is Stockholm Syndrome. Whenever I think about this, I laugh so hard. That would not go, get into my fondest memories list. It would. I would attempt to expunge it. It's so funny. Me breastfeeding while I'm like, ah. <laughs> Oh, that's how you know. That, uh... You're a real mom. I learned this word recently. I I keep using it. It's totally wrong. What word was it called? Cucked. Cucked? (laughs) Cucked in face. I know you're a parent. uh, It's not even on the internet. She's using the word cucked. (laughs) Uh, You ever watch The Office? Mm. 
Have you ever seen the episode where um, Andy uh, Toussaint says that he's a cuckold? <laughs> it's a cold open of the show, and it starts off with him talking about how he's a cuckold. Oh I think I remember that. You got the English. Well, thank you very much, Ashley and Stefan and Tucson for My little hanging pony. out. Uh, thank you so much. This was really, really fun. <laughs> what is this? It's a flag from the English Civil War. <laughs> Talk about a marital problem? Tucson, can you put that on the screen? How do I do that? <laughs> you can't share a screen? Oh my god. You, you can no. tab and then share your screen <laughs> or you can download That it. is a flag? Hold on, I'm gonna share this right now. Stefan wants yeah, us yeah. to show his country flag. That's awesome. Hold on. We have to do this. Where's the here we go? Bam. Give me one there second. Sorry. For those of you that are listening to this. Uh oh. Um can you see that? And we'll make it bigger. There we go. Um, yeah, this was a reference to uh, the Earl of Essex and uh, marital problems in the English Civil War. And he was like besieged in the castle. And so they like raised this flag outside. He's like, come out here, you fucking cuck. In that <laughs> come out, you cuckold, is the flag. For our audio <laughs> listeners, thank you. For the audio listeners, and this is also for the audio listeners. I came here for two things. To suck some hard candy and suck some dicks. <laughs> that's the sound of demonetization. demonetization. <laughs> also just like, what, what is the thing in the barrel meant to be? Because it looks like a kangaroo, but it can't be a kangaroo. It, it can't be, right? It's a, it's a ferret. It's a donkey. I feel like a, a donkey. Oh, wait. <laughs> Oh, it's, uh, what's the thing? Like, with cock holding, it's like you've got, you've grown horns or something when you're cooked. What? I'm, I'm referencing, like, 19th thing? century What is, what is? Uh, in Shakespeare's hard? day, a man with horns growing from his head was a symbol of a, of a cock hold. So maybe it's just like a creature with big ears in, in the sense of... So uh, is Satan supposed to be the ultimate cuck? <laughs> Nobody cucks Satan. I'm confused. I can't believe you guys don't know the whole 500 years of... Of, of cuck holding? holding. <laughs> it's just not my bag. I fell into, on the internet many moons ago, uh, cuck hold porn. And I was like, this is so weird. Why is that guy just sitting Yeah, it's there? bizarre. He looks so uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> he it's is. kind of like like meta porn. Like he, the cuck, is kind of the representation of you in the scene. So you're like viewing the viewing, you know? No. Yeah, that'd be really uncomfortable. I'm sure psychoanalysis would have an absolute field day. <laughs> if I had a bunch of money, that's what I would pay for a psychoanalysis of a cuckold porn scene. And then we'd air it on. I the mean, I, I think Alfie would do it for free. Uh, yeah, probably. That's part of his research. Well, that's that's the bonus material. If you sign up to Alfie's Patreon, you get a psychoanalysis of a cuck scene. 
<laughs> Thank you guys very much. I came here for two things to suck some hard candy and suck some dicks. And on that note. <laughs> Are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> I'm all out of hard candy. So. Oh, God. <laughs> thank you very much, Ashley, Stefan. Thank you. Thank you. What about me? Um, uh, I was no. going to give you a hug. Bye. Yeah, I am. Bye. If Toussaint was here in I'll the house. Take my duck and I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> God, God, Satan. <laughs> Thank you guys very much, and we are out. Out.